0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Apron and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the beginning of a series that I'm calling Hasidish Hapsak. And, uh, you know, we've heard of Hasidish Hashchit, and that's connected to Hasidish Hapsak. Uh, we know that there's products that only Hasidim will eat from, and we know that it stems not just from a a desire to be different, but actually from a different halachic perspective. But I think that although we know that chassidim have humrus today, I think there's a lack of understanding uh, going back to the beginning of the chassidic movement as to the greatness and therefore the contributions of these men towards what I call the corpus of normative halacha, we have an idea, of course, that the Baal Shem Tov was a a, a visionary, a person who was involved in Avos Yisrael, Avodas Hashem. Um, uh, Martin Buber and others, when they've discussed, and even Gershon Sholem, who have discussed from a uh, a secular or uh, perspective, which is, I guess, more um, uh, scholastic, that what part of what Hasidus did was Replace the rov and the chacham with the tzaddik as the center of the community, not to eliminate either. So, in other words, even before the balshemtah communities had people that that clearly were operating on a high level, a level that maybe perhaps of ruach hakodesh and kedusha, but they were not the leaders of the community. They were people that were approached, there were people that contributed, there were people that perhaps, just like when the Gemara speaks about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakei and Hanina Ben-Dosa, the Gemara speaks about how Yochanan ben was the was the leader of Qal Yisrael, but when his child was ill, he had to go to Hanina ben for, for Tfilot. And his wife asked him, he says, well, look at you, you are the leader, you're the great teacher, you're the one in many ways who sets the pace for for Jewish learning. But he said to him, but Hanina Mendoza is a little bit different. Hanina Mendoza is like, I'm like a Tsar, Rabbi Yochanabenzak, I said. I'm like a general. I'm like an officer. I'm like a minister. So I have certain closeness in terms of the power that I yield. But Hanina Mendoza is like the valet, he's like the person who can come into the Melech at any moment and in ways that uh, others can't. I think there's been, there, there's been films, I think, recently, or The Butler, I think it is, or some other films that, that sort of like underscore this, that sometimes the person who is, in a way, perhaps not as high, but somehow has a closeness and a familiarity that others don't. That, I think, was the impression that people had of the great tzaddikim, like the Gemara says, he, that tzaddik could daven for Yochanan Zakkai's child, whereas Yochanan Zakkai, you would think, would be his tools would be the strongest. In fact, this whole idea of the world of tefillah being different than the world of Torah, that was, the, that was the constant mindset. And of course, you had to be involved in tefillah properly, but there was something about the Ben Torah, the hierarchy of the Ben Torah that was different. That started to change with Chassidus. And as Sholem and, and, and Buber point out, it happened um, uh, in a certain somewhat of a gradual way, but it's pretty shocking that within 20, 30, 40 years, we find that the leaders and the and the pace setters are these tzaddikim tzaddikim who are, and, and let's give them their due that they are Bali Ruach HaKodesh. Let's assume that they were, and, and we know so many of them were so, so great visionaries and even capable of writing beautiful ideas that are inspiring and, and, and makes that make changes in the world. There's people even today who the, the, they love the Sefer in the Sivas Sholem, a Sefer that's built on Hasidic ideas, people who relish uh, the translations and the, the original of, of the Svas Emes, and they feel that those, those are ideas which are so uh, strong and important that they couldn't live without it. But they don't necessarily understand that these men, and sometimes the people who follow them, were also great, and were pace setters in the world of halacha. So even though we sort of realize, and, and, and we almost have a, I think, a, a wrong conception that the you know, have to sort of uh, have to sort of bow under to the the non in terms of greatness and psak. And yeah, they're great in this way. And then, and, and, and somehow each side represents a different strand, the halachic strand, the philosophic emotional strand. And I think that this is a, a simplistic understanding of the Hasidic movement and of history itself, that the Hasidim did not contribute in such a great way um, towards the development of what we call normative halachic procedure and in terms of uh, precedent in which modern post can build i think if one does a search in let's say the 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 chuvas of some of the mo- most important postcam of the of the 20th century in the 21st century one can find especially Avadia is always going to be the exception because he he brought from everywhere but even in the chuvas from um, from Shlomo Zaman Orabach and others, who I would say are some of the most important tshuvas that were written in the latter part of the 20th century and even sometimes even further, they make use of tshuvas that were written by Hasidus poskim and sometimes Hasidus Rebis themselves. And is there a difference in that quality because they were Chasidim? And that, I think, is really what I want to try to explore. You know, Rav Salvechik, who grew up in a, a, an incredible city that was full of Chabad Hasidim, Haslovich. And, of course, there's a whole story that the Rav was always spoke about, which was how this the, the city of his birth, the city where he sort of became the, this thinking, incredible, precocious Mind uh, who, was, who was who wanted to know and learn was in this Chisidisha city. This was a city that was a Chabad town in Lithuania, but always had a rov that was connected to the Vilna Gon, who of course was anti the Chisidic. And it had to do with the fact that the um, that uh, when the Alta Rebbe, who we're going to be talking about today, the Zalman of Liadi, was. Um, a fugitive, and was uh, maligned, of course, and uh, as a as a turncoat and as a spy, he was able to find uh, in Chaslovich. He was able to find a place to hide, because the Rub at that time, before Chasidus had become strong, was known as someone from the Lithuanians, from the Goins, though the the Mesnagdim of the Lithuanians, and he lied to the um, to the to the uh, to the gendarmes and the and the people from the the French army that had come to find the Alta Rebbe. and he he said, "Do you think I would hide them? Everyone knows that our history that we consider them non-Jews. We consider them rishoyim. We consider them worse than 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 the non-Jews. We consider them uh, a blight that we need to uproot. Do you think I would hide them?" And because of that, the Alta Rebbe was saved. So whether it was from the Alta Rebbe himself or others, it became a custom for that town to have a Litvish, uh, Vilnagon, Velozhen sort of Rav, but always dealing with a, a population that was 95% Chassidim. That was this anomaly where Rav Salveitchuk was raised. Now, Slovechik in the 50s, let's shoot another 50 years uh, from there, when uh, in the late 50s, when he was asked to explain how the halacha works, he took a metaphor. You might have heard me say this if you've been listening to my shiurim, uh, because I find it's very appropriate. He took a metaphor from the space race that was going on. Actually, it was not much of a race. (laughs) The Russians, you know, shocked us, uh, and, and with Sputnik. And by the way, the, um, the, uh, you might know this Mark, I don't know, and maybe Leon and, and David, the, this, the Russians actually developed their, um, COVID vaccine before, before we did, or at least they, they announced the, they announced, uh, the creation of the vaccine and, and preparing it and sending it out before we did. And I think they called it, uh, Sputnik, or something like that, Sputnik, because, you know, once again, they had uh, been on the forefront of science and they were proud of that in, in terms of what, what they've been doing. <clears throat> so anyway, the point was, is that the whole world was sort of shocked by Sputnik, that there was actually, um, uh, you know, the Russians had been able to create a, 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 a craft that could go into space, that could go beyond the reaches of our planet. And then circle our planet, and of course, that was that first space. That was the first satellite, was developed. Rovseljevic, like others, was fascinated by this because he knew that. Yes, yeah, they knew that uh, that in order to get into that orbit, <clears throat> you needed, of course, a huge amount of 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 fuel uh and those rockets and those thrust engines to be able to get there and then there was the um uh, the disassembling or the dis d- detachment of the actual module the satellite module from the big you know the the big rockets that pushed it into space, and then once it was in orbit, then it would start to circle the Earth, and everybody was you know was saying oh Sputnik is going to circle the Earth, and and who knows what's going to happen. Rav Savitch felt this was this happening was to him an incredible uh, metaphor for the way halacha works, meaning in order for a posek to get involved in a in an issue. He knows it's going to be an arduous task often, especially because the task comes from people who need a, 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 an answer, from people who need you know, someone called me last night. Again, I'm no post in any real way, although I do get questions often. But someone called me last night and he was very, very concerned because they had signed a, um, a contract uh, to work in a different position. And even though they had a signed contract, a new position, the new, the old business that had hired this person, that the person was leaving because they were dissatisfied, now wanted them back. So the person called me and asked me about the efficacy of this new contract. And is there some way how luckily he could break it? Is a signature on the contract enough, whether it was signed virtually or not, to bind that person? And now it would be illegal for him to take the new job. Well, I didn't have much time, um, (laughs) but I felt for this person and, you know, and I wanted to get involved in this. And I know that this is really somewhat of a complex question. And I spent time on the phone and time looking up sources. That's shy what just happened to me last night. Why did I decide to answer the phone? Why did I decide to get involved? That's, as Rav said, that's the emotional thrust of the engines, that pushes you there but once you are in that world you can't just decide that you like that person you're going to be Mako. just like sputnik uh and all satellites go in a uh advance in an orbit that is basically unchanging that's the way halacha works as well raf salvejik said the the reason why you get involved in halacha might be for various reasons but in the world of halacha itself it's like the satellite from a halachic perspective, halachas should... If you're in the world of halacha, you're speaking the same language. There might be questions that Chassidim will get involved in, and Misnagdim won't. But once they're both there in that spot, then the halachic language is beyond the emotional dressings that we all bring to the table. Halacha is halacha. There's a way to approach it, and therefore... The fact that the person who is saying it says E instead of "oo," or has payus long payus instead of short payus, or wears a spodik instead of a, just a regular black hat, that there shouldn't be any difference in an in, in, in essential quality and in terms of how the material develops. That is what the Rav said. So I am actually going to question this and wonder, hmm, we're going to read chasidish psak. Is it different? The fact that is it is it essentially a different kettle of fish? It shouldn't be, if Rav Salvechik and others are right. Aloha should be aloha. We know that the chasid in many ways, some of them, not all, have accepted the accepted the psakim of Rav Feinstein. Now this is really another interesting history, which I we we might explore, which is did the Chassidim uh, all the Chassidim except Ramosha Moshe Feinstein as the posic of the American posic of the mid and late twentieth century, from the nineteen about let's say about nineteen the late nineteen fifties till about the, the thirty years till about the end of the nineteen eighties, was Rav Moshe Feinstein the Posik? We all all of us here. Uh, and most of the people I think who listen to our our podcast probably, of course, would say yes. But that wasn't so clear at that time. It's interesting that Chabad um, accepted Rav Moshe as their paisek. In fact, when Rav Moshe died in uh, 1986, I think it was right. Um, right, it was 1986 or 1985. I think uh, when when um died the Lubavitcher Rebbe then said at the time we all have to go to the funeral of the Paisekador they didn't call him the Godovador because that he wasn't a Choset. but they called him the Paisekador hmm so that shows you that the Chosidim could really stand behind someone who didn't really come from their, uh, from their background but does is the, is the reverse also true could we also now take, you know, the the, the so poskim who come from the Hasidic world? Can we accept them as our poskim? Is there any essential difference there? Should there be? And I think this is really what I'm trying to explore here: is um, the the subtle differences, but at the same time, of course, to be able to um, uh, pop the balloon and. The illusion, as if the power is only in tvekus, is only in avodas Hashem, is only in you know seeing and loving Klal Yisrael and caring about uh, benodim le'mokom in the greatest possible way. And I think we're going to find that there are going to be some chsedish that are clearly very similar, and some I think we're going to see a an approach. Which is very different. One other thing, in terms of introduction, I think, and I heard this from one of my close friends, who I, uh, you know, he he always treated me like a a dear a colleague, but I will say that he, in many ways, he was one of my rabbis. Rabbi Menachem Yuni, who's been the rishiva in Mexico City, as far as she yeshiva, but he's been the rishiva there for uh, over 40 years. Um, Rav Menachem Yuni once said to me that there's a difference between when the Rebbe is the Posayk, as Rav Avram Bornstein, who was known as the Sochet Rebbe, and let's say a Choset is a Posayk, meaning the one who's writing the chuvos the is not a Rebbe, but he is a Choset of a Rebbe. But he's, a, he's, he's known as the posik, let's say, of the community. But when the Rebbe himself wears both hats as, as Rebbe and posik, the chuvus and, and, and material might be different. There's something about, you know, I don't know if Rabbi Yuni said it this way, but there's something about the imperious nature, let's say, of being the complete total leader of a group the way a, a, a Rebbe is not just the one they come to for answers and halachic questions, but answers for every aspect of their life, someone who strides among them with the assumption that he is a person of Ruach HaKodesh, someone who's, who's considered way beyond them as a human being, not just because they're a Talmud chacham. is their Torah going to be different as well? Is it going to have an element of that imperiousness in it? That's really what I've planned over here. I, I hope if you're with us through this, uh, these classes, through these lectures, through these discussions, I hope that you will, be, you will, it will increase your knowledge of history, of course, of, of, of our people. Uh, and also your understanding of the halachic process, which is what all these shiurim are meant to do, and be a schuss for these men uh, and, and to rediscover and discover new. So let's start with the Alter Rebbe. You know, they talk about, this is a term that is very strange uh, because he was actually the youngest. we Alter Rebbe, they say the old rabbi. Right, the Alter Rebbe of Chabad, Roshner Zalman of Liadi, because Chabad had uh, a number of rebbe's, and each one of them was supposed to contribute or had contributed something in the whole sphere of what Chassidus is. They they refer to the first one as the old one, the old Alter but he was actually the youngest of the students of the Magad of Mizrich, The Magad of Mizrich was uh, was a person who himself was one of the last students of the Baal Shem Tov. He was only by the Baal Shem Tov for a year or so in the 1760 approximately. And um, yet in many people's minds, he is the prime student of 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 the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov really... Uh, was started to create his his movement, and and in in the mid 1700s, uh, actually the 1740s, 17 uh, in, the, in the late 1730s and 1740s, 1750s. So by the time the Maggid of rich and he meet, the Baal Shem Tov is already a very well known person. He has he has a whole group of other Hasidim and people that are already uh, acting in a way that's quite different and there's already become uh, a, a, a unease with this movement and with the way in, 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 in places like Lithuania and other places in Galicia that something something weird is afoot the Magid from Bear of Mizric, um, uh became extremely close to the Baal Shem Tov, the last year and a half of his life and When the Baal Shem Tov died, there was, of course, a a vacuum that was created. And there was clearly, if you look at the sources honestly, there clearly was a a debate as to who should carry on and how things should be carried on. One of the things that... you know, in many ways, exemplify chesidus is the rebbe has a court and people come to the rebbe on shabbosim and the rebbe sits at the table and gives shirayim, and the and the rebbe says special torah, uh, especially at Um, The baal shem did say torah at shaloshis. It is true, but this idea that we have of what a rebbe does, in many ways. Was forged by the Magad of Mizrich. Other students of the Baal didn't act that way. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polonoya was, was against the Chassidim, uh, the idea of a Rebbe having a huge court and people coming to him and um, now he 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 had the balshemtiv he had encountered the younger Shemtev had been extremely uh, agile was involved would go from place to place of course i've heard stories about how the Shemtev moved around and Shemtev would go where he was needed he was sort of like this incredible almost a mythic figure Rabbi Yaakov Yosef said, that's what our teachers should be. That's what the, the next generation of leaders should be. It shouldn't be a court that everyone needs to come to and that the Rebbe then, sort of like like a king, gives out advice or talks to them and says, Torah. And th- these competing images and views about what Hasidus should be um, were, were, in a way, attention. In, in Hasidus for a while the derech of the Magid Rabdov Bear, really became uh, in ascendance and that became for many people that's what a Rebbe does and the Magid students became for many people that's where Hasidus' future is so Rav Shner Zalman of Liadi uh, as we know um had a choice. Uh, he, his, 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 uh, he had heard about the Vilna Goan, and he had heard about the type of intelligence that it took to be accepted and the type of Messir as and learning it took to become a student of the Gone of Vilna and he played with the possibility of going to study with the Ghosn of Vilna but he instead opted to join the, the court of the Maggid of Rabdavir. He said that the reason why he was going was because he knew the Vilna would give him a direction in learning, but he felt his, with a little bit of arrogance perhaps, that his direction in learning he knew, and he felt he would grow even further without the, without the intense tutelage. But he said in terms of what davening was, that he needed the Maggid for. But when he came to the Maggid, young as he was, people realized that this he was a different caliber of mind in terms of learning. They called him the Litvak. That's what he was known as when he came to Mezrich. He was known as the Litvak. Uh, and uh, he clearly established himself as someone who thought in sort of the same intellectual way that we even hear today, that Lithuanians are always meant to think about things in an analytic way. That was what Schneer of Schner Zalman of Liadi was, a more of a, a Lithuanian thinker. And he was known as the Witvak. The Magid felt, and this gets us to the heart of what we're doing here, and the Magid really was a, a big thinker. Um, the Maggid felt that there was a special role for Rav Shneur Zalman. All of his uh, uh, Hasidim were unique, but he felt there was a special role for Rav Shneur Zalman. One thing the Baal Shem Tov had said to all his uh, students was that there needed to be a refashioning of the Jewish community. He didn't necessarily say we have to get rid of the Rav and replace it with a Tzaddik what the Baal Shem mostly said was that we need to create, that there isn't enough tzaddikim, that many, uh, clearly he felt that many of the Rabbonim, and there was a, a, a reason for this, and part of it was the fact that there was a loosening of, uh, of some of the communal strictures, and there was an interference by the non-Jewish powers that be as to who would be the Rabbonim and whereas at one point the it, it was a meritocracy it no longer was so much of a meritocracy there was a um, uh, and 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 it, for 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 decades there had been um the impression that people who didn't deserve the positions were getting them and there was an idea that there was a lack of religiosity there was it was a, a good old boys network a money network um, and, of course, you hear often that there was, this was something that people sensed, the, as they called the Hamon, the masses understood that these, there is corruption in some of the higher places, and therefore, um, we need to change things. The Rabbonim are sometimes enthrall. Uh, to their overlords, the rabbanim are sometimes more concerned with their children becoming their the rabbanim and having uh, the great the, the bigger salaries and the other French benefits. And there was also uh, the idea that, and this is really our topic, that the place where people lived, in terms of where they got their sustenance from, from the shochtim, that the shochtim were not that the shochtim were you know you had to uh, there was there was the capability of being able to do the job of slaughtering the animals in the in, in the local slaughterhouse but in terms of religious adherence there was an idea that you didn't have to be so from to be a shaikh and there were many shochtim that didn't care and we find Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, Bologna, the student of the Baal Shemtev, telling that his, 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 his Rebbe, the Baal Shemtev, had said that this was something that was a, like a cancer that was spreading. Because it's one thing to say that, you know, there's people in authority who, who aren't really sincere. But when you have somebody who can, um, uh, or, or a group of people that are slaughtering animals, not halakhically correct, there's people and spreading that meat there was this idea, almost a mystical concept, that everyone's becoming metumtum, everyone's becoming jaded by all the non-kosher meat. So the Eight Sahara has found a new means of, 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 of putting its net around us. That was the attitude that the Boscemtav had. And the Boshemtav felt that that and, and that the Shochtum in many ways did not deserve their positions. The Baal Shem Tif, um, was known uh, to when he became more famous and would visit places, at first he wanted the Shochim to come and show them their knives, and the Baal Shem would test them to see if they indeed knew how to slaughter properly. One has to take the knife and run and see that the knife was smooth and that the person was able to, with his nail, be able to detect whether there was any sort of indentation in the knife that would cause the to not to be kosher. Well, for the Baal to do this generated tremendous ire on uh, the part of the Rabbonim. Because this was something that was always reserved for the Rav of the city it's mentioned in Halacha that the shochet needs to show his knife to the rabbi, but not some visiting person who's hardly a rabbi himself. And yet that became the standard by the chesidim, that they wouldn't eat the shechita of places where they were. And if they did come to the town, they would bring their own shochet. And in fact, after the Baal Shem Tov's death, the Magad of the Mizritch, um was determined to change things. And as uh, part of what needed to be pushed was they had to renounce and and those shokhtim and get new shokhtim, people that were Yorei shamayim. And if that meant, you know, shaking up the community and having communal dissent and replacing the Rabbanim, that was very important. And eventually... There were certain principles of what that shita needed to be. One of the principles that we're going to talk about is the fact that the knives that the shochtim were using were not proper. We know in halacha there's a number of, 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 of there's five principles that that every shokha needs to know about Shehiya, Hagrama, Ikur, Hadrasa, Um halodah. Those are the five principles that we know from a local Moshe that a shochet. And again, you know, that the, the knife has to cut. It can't be the pushing of the knife. It has to be the blade of the knife. The the knife cannot get caught up into the animal's hair. There, it needs to be a a, a, a fluid action. It can't be an action that that there's a that there's there's a stutter or there's a, there's some delay. So these are things that the reason why you need a mashkiach to watch the person shechting. The knives that had been used in, 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 in Eastern Europe were primarily what they would call knives that were forged, but it was very difficult to have those knives as um, to have those knives uh, to be sharp and smooth. The way forging metal works, and I spoke to someone who's uh, somewhat of an expert in this, is that it's 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 been done for thousands of years, but it's not so simple to be able to take that steel and to and to make it thin enough that it should be sharp and smooth. Sharpness is of course important. Your knife has to be sharp in order to cut the essential, um, vital parts of the of the chicken or of the animal that you're shafting. The problem is is those knives might be sharp, but they weren't smooth. And the question is, how smooth could they be? The Magadam is rich said that we know what the answer is. The answer is we need a different type of of, of, of knife production. And these were called these were called or milutoshim which meant they were made out of a soft enough uh, metal that they were able to be developed, that they were actually sharp and smooth together. And part of what the Chassidim uh, worked on was to not eat from any Shechita that the Shochdam didn't use these knives. They were called Sakinim Mulutoshim. That's the Hebrew name for them. Now, I mentioned and I didn't really develop it before, and I'm going to explain now. The Alter Rebbe was seen by the Magid as the writer and the great halachist of the group. Now It was the Magid himself who who pushed for the introduction only of these type of knives and saying, now, of course, what, is, what happens now is that the community is totally split because since the older communities were still using the old-fashioned knives, the that were moving in, the that became students of the Magad and the Magad's students, insisted that the only shrita they would eat from is from shochitim that were using these other knives, the knives the, the, which, which were not the most common. They were able to be obtained, maybe at a higher price, but they would not eat the shrita, which meant it's one thing, of course, that they davened a different nusach. That was another thing that the Maggid pushed. We're going to talk about that in a different uh, time, the idea of what should be the best words of tefillah that you say. And if you are davening uh, and you're not, and you're davening in a different order, if you're saying things with a different verbiage, if your chazen doesn't repeat the shmon esrei, like the words that you are saying internally, should you be davening in that place? So this caused the chsedim to make their own shoals, that they should be able to dive in their way. But they also now had their own; they were want to push for their own shochtim, because they would not eat with. Uh, there was an idea that, that that was being spread, and and it made sense that. You have to be suspicious that all these other shochtim are feeding the world, like the like the Tolda said, they're feeding us treif, and therefore there's a whole group of people who are eating treif consistently, and this means that you can't eat at their house. So this really caused the 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 uh, a a a disconnect from the two communities and places where chsedim were just starting to come and demanding. First of all, you know, not accepting the shochtim um, and demanding their own way to eat was a real way that the two communities, where there wouldn't be one community at all. Now, I mentioned before, the Alter Rebbe was going to be the posek. So the Alter Rebbe, in fact, uh, the Magid gave him a job. His job was to write a shulchan aruch, And that is what he did. He did not finish it. But what he did write is one of the most essential halakhic texts that have been written in the last 250 years. And even though there are people who will always point to the Vilna Gon, and what did the Vilna Gon say here? The Vilna Gon's uh, 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 contribution to halakha is built on his, his very... Um, curious and fertile, incredible mind and s- s- systematic mind that while he was studying, he wrote notes on his Shulchan Aruch. He wasn't trying to write a revolutionary book that would cause you to rethink the way uh, the halacha, halacha develops and to be able to understand what, how halacha works and to have a clarity. He was trying in a way to to, to, to show the sources of everything in Shulchan Aruch that, was a, that, that came to his mind. Sometimes he would find sources that even Yosef Cairo himself didn't realize was the source of what he himself was saying. He was so brilliant. So the Vilnagon's notes on Shulchan Aruch are important because they, they bespeak the brilliance of the man, but he's not the architect of a whole halachic uh, approach one can discern from him that it's important to go back to the original sources. But the, the, the Balatanya, as he's called, the Alter Rebbe, he rewrote the Shulchan Aruch in a way that this very um, tortured book can now be read and can be understood with introductions. With, uh, he, he fixed up the language and, um, and, and and this was the idea that he would actually write a book that would be so incredible. And it is that it would be accepted and studied beyond the world of Hasidim. And we all know uh, that the, if someone would ask you, who is the, what is the important halachic work from the Lithuanian world? You'd say, well, of course, the Mishnabrura. But the Mishnabrura itself is built 35, 40 percent, perhaps, maybe even more, 45%, on many of the, the of the approach of this chossid, this 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 of the first Slabavicherab. And 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 if you do a search of language, you'll see that very, very often the Mishnah Bruz uh, notes that that seem to be a, a perfect explanation of the idea to make them understandable was really lifted completely from the, the way that idea was, art, was written and articulated by Rav Zalman of Liadi. But he's more than just a, a person who made halachic understandable. He also, of course, uh, in his notes, uh, was able to, um, to uh, brilliantly expand the ideas in ways that shows that he was a giant of thought. So in this issue of the, the, the knives, something happened. The Alter Rebbe was writing his books, and there was pushback. The pushback was from the enemies of Hasidus. The enemies of Hasidus um, pushed back and said that these Hasidim, they are inventing this new way of, of, of shechting, they are saying what we're doing is wrong, their way is wrong. In fact, the way they're doing it, we don't even have a tradition of doing it with these type of knives. And there's going to be problems of trefus with these type of knives. And therefore, a number of important communities, Broad, Brisk, other places, in Galicia, and Lithuania, and Moliov, they issue declarations that anybody who Eats from chsedim is eating treif, and that you have to stay away from the completely. And these type of knives are not an upgrade. They say it's an upgrade, but really it's a it's a means to 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 stab us and to push us away. And anybody who 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 eats from their shritah and who accepts them as them, uh is being Michael treifus. So really, it was like, uh, as we say, a um, uh, each side was. Saying that the other was feeding the other side, trafe. Um, I said before that he was known as the Litvak. Well, many Lithuanians, even in Vilna, which you would say is the, the Vilna Gones town, were Chabad Hasidim. And um, after the Vilna Gones' death, um, we could talk about this at a different time. There was a uh, sort of a, uh, <laughs> as much as many people mourned his death, there were a number of chasidim who, who were very happy. And in fact, uh, people felt now is the time for the ascension of our Rebbe, uh, Roshner Zalman. And Roshner Zalman felt that he had to write a tshuva about this issue that I'm going to read to you. Okay. So this is a, a, a tshuva that he wrote. It's a, in a sense, a psaq. It's from, um, it's a very late tshuva. It's from 1811. So I want to, um, here is the tshuva. Pesach dvarayoyer or yiroor, slichos hamal ichar tshuvosi, teira He said, I'm sorry, I didn't answer you. Ki erech erach bei b'sklov. I was in a, uh, a conference, Pasifis ha-Medina. You can see from here that by 1811, this was no longer just like an upstart group. Uh, In Lithuania and white Russia, people like the Altarebbe was already considered a leader. He started off of course, you know, in the the late 1760s as just a young man. But here we're talking about 50 years later, he's already one of the great leaders. And he says, I'm sorry, I was busy with some big community uh, conferences, the G7. Hashem Yirachem, he says, no, it's no, we're, it's tough situations. There's a lot of stuff happening with the, with the with the with the what's happening in the country in Russia. And then I see there's a bunch of letters, um, and I see that people are saying that in the cities, in the places where they've gotten their shalch in. That there has been, uh, the, there's been these letters saying that anybody who eats from their shkita, of course, uh, is continuing to eat rafe. So I want to say the following: I, Obviously, in these places, Rachidus has developed. People are using the knives, these thin knives that can be sharpened and smooth. Even in Dubna, which there aren't so many chasidim there, I see they're using these knives. In Austria, in Kremenitz, in Lutsk. many, many cities that have nothing to do with chasidus, they either had been using these knives or have started to use these knives, recognizing that they are the better way to shecht. I've heard from Eretz Yisrael as well. Which started to get a Hasidic um, um, population, people who had come from Eastern Europe to Eretz Israel, they're also there. And maybe he's talking, and he says, So even the Sfardim who were the ones who had been in Eretz Israel before the Hasidim showed up and before the other Ashkenazim there, the Sfardim had been using specifically these type of knives. The Chaliba Lohitzi Dibas Mikhsholov on Orovli Safa Israel. It's terrible to say that thousands of Jews, not just among Khsidim, are feeding treif and are eating treif. Anyone who hears this knows it's wrong. He says, So he's referring now to the student of the Vilna Gon, the person that for many people, was, as I said, the chesidim in, in Vilna celebrated his death. He refers to the student of the Vilna Gon, who in many ways saw himself as the fighter against Hasidus, Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Veloshno, who I named my son after. Av Bezdin, the Kiyos He says, um, when Rav Chaim was in, in 1803, eight years earlier, many people heard him say, people who weren't Hasidim heard him say, that his teacher, the Vilnagon, and he calls the Vilnagon Ha Chossid. <laughs> Many people think that you know they consider the Vilnagon as just a, a some boogeyman. The Alter Rebbe is calling, and again, this is a letter, a psaq, where he wants people to know his respect that he has for the other side. He's calling the Vilnagon the Chossid. ain't shum the goin' told Rechaim that even though Chassidim made a point about it and, and decided to actually change what they were doing and use a different type of knife that had been popular, there's nothing wrong with that, what they're doing. There's no Isser. Now, it might be true that the Gain was against the Chassidim Shashchita, but not because it was halakhically wrong. It's only because the Goin felt that the Chassidim were trying to create their own type of Judaism in other ways. But not that there was anything ever halachically wrong with these type of knives. Now, you have heard people say about me. You've heard people say that I say that the shkita of, which is something probably the market of Ms. Rich had said, but he said, you have said about, you're saying that I say that the shkita the old-fashioned shkita is not kosher. He says, I would never say that. I know that most people, although there are many who shecht with these new knives, the ones that we hold, I know that the old types of knives is, is eaten by thousands of people. Do you think I would say that those people are not eating kosher? He says, God is my witness. And anyone who's close to me knows that I will use their kalim. Meaning if I thought they had put treif meat, I would not go to a person's house who uses the old-fashioned shkita and eat food that comes with their, made, prepared with their vessels. And I do. I do not consider it trave. Now, where does this come from? And now the Alter Rebbe does what the Alter Rebbe does best. He goes and explains the issue. Of course, it's not like in the Shulchan Arach where he's going to teach you from A to Z. But he says, look, let's go to this issue from its source. I'm going to to briefly tell you what this is about. The ones, the old-fashioned way, the ones who know what they're doing, what they do is they sharpen their knives as sharp as it could be, but they know that they sacrifice smoothness. And the reason is because with this sort of metal, the way it's forged, it, it's impossible almost to get it to be smooth and sharp at the same time. So, they definitely don't want it to be not sharp, because if it's not sharp, then it's called drossa, which means you didn't really use the blade to kill the animal. You used your fist or your hand power, just holding the metal. That's not called a shechita. Now, therefore, um, So therefore, what is it that most of these good sholk have done? What they do is, they sharpen it, but they leave it non-smooth. Now, a knife that is not completely smooth in its meadow, is it kosher? Now, the Rambam, he quotes, says that there's something called saaseya saseya is if it's like a saseya then it's not a kosher knife we don't know exactly what saseya is but we do know that many poskim poskin like the Rashba the Rashba wrote a sefer called Torres habayis the Torres habayis is a is an important work and he tr- explains the opinion of the riff before him, that where is it that if it's the knife metal isn't smooth, we suspect that the animal is not a, is, has not been slaughtered properly. <laughs> the, the, the ridge in the metal has to be th- deep enough that you can actually pick out particles from it. If you can pick out some sort of foreign particle from, from, the, from the pigima, from the flaw in the metal, then you have a problem. So that's th- those type of things, although it's definitely not completely smooth, the flaw in the metal is not strong enough. That's the sheet of the rashpa, the one of the posqueador in Spain. Who wrote in his uh, the work Taurus Shabbaius, which is accepted in all Klal So, therefore, the Alta Rebbe says, "How could we ever be um, How could we ever um, uh, say that the misnagdim are eating treif?" however he says that what he says is that he says even though the rashpa says what he says but if you if you analyze the language of the riff it doesn't seem to be the rashpa is right And then he quotes the great Orachayim HaKadosh from the mid-18th century in the classic work pre Toar. He says, the Rosh seems to be more correct in his interpretation of the Rif, that as long as you could sense the flaw in the metal with your fingernail, that's already considered a flaw in the metal, and that is enough, and... It's based on the the Rashba's um, the one who wrote a critique on the Rashba's work, the Ra'a, Rav Aaron a- Alevi, that the word when when the Riff said chagira, it doesn't mean to gather within it a, a, a some foreign element. It means something where you feel a skip. The word Hogeir means it's not smooth. There's a place there where your your nail seems like it's skipping over the ridge. That's what chagira means. And he doesn't just say, oh, let's go with the rush and the ra'ah. He says, he also quotes the great marshal. Who was the Rama's cousin who wrote the magnificent work, Yom Shul Shlomo? And we see that the Marshal, the, 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 the Alta Rebbe writes, did not quote that Rashbuk. And I think that could also be the fact that the Taz who in Shulchan Aruch quotes the Marshal. So therefore, it seems that all, these people who are incredible, poskim and very important, none of them are feel that the interpretation of what sort of metal you need is like the rush and therefore if you even though um you do definitely have the rush, but to be so mechon and that seems to be what, what what's it seems to be this simple interpretation in the in the Shulchan Aruch, but l'chora he says we should be Khoshish for a suffolk daraisa and therefore, if we have a type of metal, the way we forged it, that can be completely smooth, that's what we should use. Now we know that the best way to get such a metal done is the the way the, the way that was done by by, the, by what the Maggid has been pushing. I don't deny the Alter Rebbe writes that there are certain shochtim that know. They're experts, and they know how to sharpen their knives, and they could get it sharp, at least for the moment that it's sharp and smooth. But not everybody knows how to do it. And you also need time to do it. In other words, if the material you're working with needs to be altered every couple of minutes in order to change it, we know in a slaughterhouse, there's always the pressure. And the, a Shochet doesn't always have the time. Using our metal, the way the Magnum is Rich has said, and it wasn't something he invented, it was used in other places in Europe and Eretz Yisrael. This is actually a better way to get it done, and there won't be uh, an issue of time because it doesn't become flawed as easily as the standard metal. And therefore, as he says, I think I've showed you and defended. Um, uh, each side but obviously the the misnagdim or so to speak should not say that what we're doing is is somehow against Judaism in fact we know that even though there's a lot of heat and 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 passion there's always been debates between the post Shonim and the Khronim in the generations before us and there's been communities that people have gone like the Meikle. But times can change. And, and there can be movements to be more machmir. Yes, I understand. There's been uh, halachas that, that everyone was more lenient. For example, the idea of eating uh, uh, winter wheat I'm sorry. Eating the wheat that had not yet uh, developed from the winter, and and not using the old wheat, people have were mako for years. But the truth is, is that the winds of change are here, and there's nothing wrong with people deciding that they're going to be makbet on chadosh and only eat wheat from, from that, that they knew had grown enough that by the second day of Pesach, it would be allowed. And the same thing about davening mariv in the proper time. For years, there was such a fear of uh, of, of the non-Jews. There was such a, a, a worry about where the Beis Haknesis was, that the Beis Haknesis was out in the field somewhere, that they had to daven mariv early. The, ag- the agrarian nature of the community also meant that they dab and Mara very, very early. Well, we've we've turned the corner on that. And therefore, we should look at this as another way of turning the corner. So I think in, even in this tshuva, you see the, the, the desire to make peace, but you also see the desire of analyzing it from a non-emotional perspective uh, standpoint of going through the sources of quoting liberally uh, the sources that 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 are considered uh, supreme uh, decisors on both sides, and there's also not any element here of 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 calling the other side evil there's no use of a mystical quality. I think this chuva shows the heart and the spirit the concern, but also the Rav. It shows his mind, and it shows that he is paskaning the way a posseg should, at the same time giving this encouragement to try to stop the machlokas by Yisrael. And in that way, again, you know, we can see other chubas from him, but I think this one already is something that deserves to be studied and emulated.